It's uh, exciting to be able to share with you this morning as uh, Jeff finishes up a, a couple of weeks of vacation, well-deserved, um, from our pastor who brings the word to us every week, um, spends his summer on junior high missions trips, loves engaging in life and community and, and building the bride of Christ. And the last couple of weeks, he's taken off. Um, you heard from Drew Baker, great words last week in um, guiding us into the truth. And then uh, today you get me coming straight off of a mission trip and some minor surgery. Um, I had a run-in with a metal grinder while I was in Mexico Thursday afternoon, so that was quite the enjoyment for me um, to be able to uh, go to a Mexican emergency room, not speaking any Spanish myself, and let them put stitches in my, uh, that was fun. So uh, hopefully this won't distract you, it will probably distract me, I don't usually use a stand, so hopefully I won't knock it over, because I'm not used to having other things up here, but it's really hard with this hand to be able to, uh, to hold my Bible and um, to teach as well. So um, we're going to engage this morning in the story of God. My hope is that we come to an understanding of where we are called to be in God's story by the end of this message so that we can live a life to infinity and beyond. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen the, the, the movie this summer, Toy Story 3. Any takers? Yeah, good stuff, right? Um, Pixar has done an amazing job yet again of developing a story with just cartoon characters by being able to draw us in and to be able to take us to a place where by the end, most people, definitely every mom that I've seen in the audience was weeping by the end of this cartoon. My wife is sitting next to me after our four-year-old and, and our little two-month-old, she's holding the two-month-old, and our four-year-old daughter, Sonny's sitting next to her, and Sarah's just in tears as we're getting to the end of this movie, and I'm looking at her like, it's a movie. And then I'm looking at her, and I'm like, oh, 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 okay. I know where she's thinking, and she's thinking the community of our family and our girls growing up, and there's a, a moment where you can kind of get a glimpse of the future as you're watching the end of this movie. If you haven't seen I won't give it away, but you're getting a glimpse, and you look at your family, and you go, wow, it's going to change, isn't it? It's not going to be the same for very long. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be different, and I, as a parent, you're like, I don't... Can, it be, can they stay smaller for a longer time? Can we work that out to where they stay little? And just even being gone this past week and then coming home and seeing my three-and-a-half-month-old just be different. She made her first, like, real belly laugh yesterday. And I'm like, whoa, what did I miss this week? Has she been laughing all week? I, did I miss that? The things you take for granted, the depth of life that we have. But this movie t took us there as a family and looking, I'm going, wow, that's, that's community that I look and I see what could be, and then to some extent I looked at it and thought, as Sarah was looking at it and weeping over it, I looked at it and thought, whoa, I'm not sure that I like where we're going. I don't want my daughters to grow up. I don't, I, they can stay small. I'll just stay 31. It'll be good. That's not how it happens. Our lives change. We are transformed. We get older. Things in here begin to break. All around, physically, emotionally, we begin to break down because we are created with a human nature, and the human nature has combined with a sin nature, and sin nature has started to take over our bodies, and we deteriorate. 
Some of you know that better than others right now. You've experienced a season of loss just recently after watching the life of someone break down and deteriorate because we have a world of brokenness and loss. And if our lives stay centered on the what we have now and the what that is going to become, the best that we can hope for is either present or past for most of us. Because things are going to continue to get increasingly harder, more difficult. It's going to be harder to run two miles. It's going to be harder to remember things. It's going to be harder to keep family in the same location and keep community together. But if our perspective is a little different, and if our perspective is eternal, then we have something greater to look forward to, and the loss and the brokenness and the frustrations in community and the types of lives that we go through that that may be difficult at times and, and that just offer fleeting glimpses of hope and love and peace become endurable because we're looking at an eternal perspective that shows the greatness that we're about to walk into. And so many times we get stuck on the here and now and not the now but not yet. And today I hope that we can dive into the now but not yet. Because the but not yet gives us the platform to be able to live fully in the now. Now we are part of a world that's broken, but we're also part of a kingdom that's not of this world. And this morning we want to dive into the kingdom that's not of this world. In order to dive into that kingdom that stretches to infinity and beyond, we have to start with a simple question. Who am I? The morning after we watched Toy Story 3 at my house, I walked into my daughter Sonny's room to wake her up. Um, she had been calling for me. That's kind of, it's a weird thing. She's the only four-year-old that I've ever known that still calls for her parents to come get her out of bed instead of running out of bed and then jumping on me you know, and waking me up. She calls from her room and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm awake. Come get me. And then she lays back under her blankets and hides. It's the only blanket in bed. It's the only lump in the bed. But there she is laying under a blanket as quiet as she can be. And I walk in and I'm like, Sonny, I heard you call for me. Where are you? Are you in here? And I start, you know, just patting the bed, trying to find her. And, and she's giggling a little bit every time that I tickle her. And then I pull the covers back and I'm like, oh, there's my little girl. There's Sonny. And she looks up at me. She's like, I'm not Sonny. I'm like, who are you then? And she's like, I'm Barbie. <laughs> oh. I was hoping we'd make it to like 12 before that happened. But why are you Barbie? Because in Toy Story 3, there was Barbie. I'm like, okay, I'm happier that it's that Barbie and not <laughs> the world of Barbie. And she's like, so I'm Barbie because Barbie was the girl in the movie. And I'm like, okay, Barbie. Um, and she's like, so that means you have to be. And I'm like, don't say it. You have to be Ken. <laughs> I'm like, I saw Ken in that movie. <laughs> he turned his man card over before the movie started. Um, please don't make me be Ken. And she's like, no, you have to be Ken. I'm like, I will not wear a scarf around my neck. I, whatever. I love you. I would die for you. But there's a line here, baby. I'm not going there. And she's like, okay, you be Ken. Uh, and then she's like, and mama, mama's going to be Jesse. I'm like, okay, so you're Barbie. I'm Ken. She's Jesse. And I'm like, who's Brinkley? And, and she's like, Brinkley can be Mr. Pricklepants. 
and who's a little hedgehog in the movie. And I'm like, okay, can she be Miss Pricklepants because she's a girl? Yes. So we've established at the time that my daughter's in bed who everyone is in our house this morning. So she gets out of bed, and she runs in to wake up Mommy, and she's waking her up. And immediately, Sonny goes into character. Jesse, Jesse, wake up. And Sarah's like, I don't know who you're talking to. I'm Mama. And she's like, no, you're Jesse today. And so we're a family of Ken, Barbie, Jesse, and Miss Pricklepants. Um, until after breakfast, and then Sonny looks at me, and she's like, I don't want to be Barbie anymore. And I'm like, oh, good. No more Barbie. That means I don't have to be Ken. I'm like, who are you going to be? Um, I think I'll be Jesse, and Mama can be Lotso the Bear, and you can be Woody, and Brinkley will be uh, Mr. Potato Head. Okay, so now we've all got new names and assignments, and we have to act like those characters. Um, for a while. And then uh, it was the day off for me, so I'm staying home, and we started playing, and she gets her My Little Ponies out. She's like, Daddy, I don't want to be Jesse anymore. I'm going to be Sunny Days. So she has her little pony up, and then she looks at me. I'm like, oh, no, now I've got to be a pony. Okay. And so then she's like, you are going to be um, this pony. And I'm like, what's that pony? Starshine. Okay, now I'm Starshine. So then I become Starshine for a couple of hours, and then we go outside to play, and I put her on the swing, and we start telling stories, and she's like, Daddy, I don't want to be Sunny Days anymore. Now I'm going to be Minnie Mouse. Okay, now you're Minnie Mouse, because we were telling the story about vacation last year in Disney World, and now I'm Donald Duck, and, um, and Mommy's Daisy, and Sunny is Plu- or Brinkley is Pluto. So we've all changed again, and that kept going on throughout the day, and then that night we had some college students come over, and Sunny comes up and whispers to me, and she says, Daddy, now I miss Shelby, because Shelby's one of our students who comes, and she plays the guitar and leads worship, and Sonny thinks she's the coolest thing ever. So she's like, now I'm Miss Shelby. I'm like, all right, you're Miss Shelby. And so then she becomes Miss Shelby, and I have to become Miss Shelby's brother, Justin. And so then I've changed again. And so then she gets a bath, and as she gets out of the bath, and she's like, I'll be Barbie again. Now she's back to Barbie, and I'm back to Ken. Man, card turned in. And so then uh, we take her to bed, and as she's laying down for bed, and we're starting to pray, she rolls over and looks at me, and she's like, Daddy. Who am I again? I'm like, you're Sunny, the most beautiful girl that I've ever seen in my life. I had so much fun with you today. I love you so much. I love that you're Sunny. And she's like, no, who am I pretending to be? And I'm like, the last I checked, I think it was Barbie. Yep, that's it. I love you. Good night. And as she said that, and I walked out of the room, I thought, man, that's our walk with God. We wake up in the morning as dad or mom or husband or wife. We get in the car, we drive to work, and now we're boss or employee or manager or director or teacher or mister or missus or coach or this. And then about halfway through the day, we get, you know, become some other words that we don't even want to be in our day because people are talking about us at wherever or on the phone or we're yelled at or we're, you know, the guy on the end of the email, the provider, the this, the that, the whatever. Then work ends and we call home and we say, what do you need to bring home? And now we're back to provider and then we're off to coach or then we're off to mom or then we're off to tutor and then we're off to to chef and then we're this and then we become that and then we're the finance director of our home and then we're the, you know, whatever else we can figure out in a day. And at the end of the day, we look at each other or we look at ourselves and say, okay, Who am I again today? How do I exist in community and serve the world when it's so hard to know who I even am? Because every day I have to get up and you have to play so many roles and you have to put on so many hats and you become so many different people in a day that it's hard. And maybe at the end of your day, you've gotten to this place where you're like, God, okay, just center me on you. And we change everything if 
it doesn't matter what role we have to play during the day because we don't question who we are in any role that we have to play. See, Jesus in his ministry, he had to play many roles. He was healer, he was teacher, he was rabbi. He was the chef when there were only a few fish and a few loaves. He became the cook. He was nurturer. He was provider. He was Lord of Lords. He was King of Kings. He was Hosanna. He was ushered in on a donkey as this great king. He was betrayed. He was destroyed. He was beaten. He was killed. He was resurrected. He was many things. He was many names. Yet his mission and who he was from the very beginning never changed. And if we choose to be a people, a church, who are going to change things, we have to learn this lesson from Jesus, that no matter who the world requires us to be for them, we don't stop becoming who God has freed us to be eternally in Him. If you have Bibles with you, turn with me into John chapter 18. John 18, I'm going to jump in at verse 33. So if you want to just hold your Bible there, give you a little backstory. John 18 is the chapter where we have Jesus beginning his trials and going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. For thousands of years since Adam and Eve were brought into creation, spoken into existence, created into a garden where God wanted to walk with them, and they made a, a choice that they would rather have the knowledge of God and become the kings and queens themselves instead of be in unity with God in the garden and fully trust and have faith in Him. When they made the decision to eat of the fruit, to have the knowledge that they would be like God, even though they were already in the image of God, but they wanted the power... From that moment on, God was orchestrating a story to redeem his people back to a garden scene with himself. Back to a scene where there was God walking with man and woman and that there was no sin. There was just this intimate community, perfect unity between God and his creation. He longed for that. And in order to establish that, he was going to have to offer a gift of grace a gift of atonement that was going to be greater than any gift this world could conjure up for itself. And it was going to be God himself becoming man, existing in this world, carrying out the work of his father, establishing and planting a kingdom of heaven that would be lasting into eternity and carrying the burden of all sin of all of the world. And Jesus chose to take upon himself the role in this story as Savior. And he spent three years in ministry establishing publicly that this kingdom of God is here and present and ready for people to take hold of. That you could be a part of the kingdom now. 
because he was going back to the right hand of the Father, but the way that he was going to get there was going to be through our sin and death. That he was going to conquer the grave. And so he had a meal with his disciples. He shared communion with them at this meal. He told Judas, it's time for you to go. You know you're about to betray me. He told Peter, you think you'll stand for me and fight for me. You're going to run. And three times you're going to profess that you don't even know me. He went away into a garden and began to pray deep into the night. His prayer in John 17 is that we would be one with him as he is one with the Father. That the fullness of community would be restored from the Garden of Eden. That there would be a oneness between the object of God's affection, us, that he chose to make us a love relationship with him. And that he was begging God, make them one with us. And Judas came with soldiers to where Jesus had brought his disciples before and where he knew Jesus would be praying. And he came and he kissed Jesus on the, on the cheek. And the soldiers arrest him. Peter pulls out a sword, more than likely motivated by the dinner and saying, you said I was going to betray. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to stand for you. And he cuts the ear off of one of the men who had come to capture Jesus. Jesus touches the ear and heals it. That's not the fight he's coming to pick. And from that point on, the world begins to break its own rules in order to crucify the man who didn't break any. Jesus is taken in the middle of the night to stand trial before judge upon judge, which is illegal in Roman law and Jewish law. You can't hold court at night. They were to wait till the next day, but they knew it was Passover and they had to get things done. So they began to break laws and take Jesus. And he stands before one guy after another until he ends up standing before Pilate, Roman governor. And as Jesus stands before Pilate, he's... This happens in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? We wait on this dialogue until Easter just about every year to, to share it. 
But the words of Jesus before Pilate are so transforming that we have to, to sift them in our lives on almost a daily basis. And I would encourage you that these words that Jesus is saying to Pilate are not for Pilate alone, but they're for the world. That so often we judge our churches, we judge our world, we judge each other, and we judge ourselves based on the what's happening right now. And we ask the question continually of what is Jesus doing in this world now? And his response is continually, I'm not even of this world. I'm not building a kingdom of this world. I'm building a kingdom that is eternal. But so often we want answers and Pilate was looking for a human answer. Are you a king about to overthrow my government? Are you here ready to raise up rebellion? And have they brought you before me to protect my kingdom? Do I need to get my warriors ready? And Jesus is going, no, no, you're not even getting it. If I wanted to overthrow your government, my servants would have come with swords already. And some would interpret that this was his 12 disciples. I would say this is more leaning toward Revelation 19 where Jesus is pictured in a different way where he is on a white horse with a sword in his mouth with Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh and King of Kings tattooed on his robe and he's got um, flaming eyes and his horse is ready to go and he's got an army behind him and the angels are looking at the birds of the air going, hey, get ready to eat because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's bringing judgment right now and you can just take whatever's left. Here he comes to judge the wicked and, and the evil and the ones who stood against God. And Jesus is kind of looking at that going, hey, you know, Pilate, if I wanted to establish my kingdom here, I could bring an army. And Rome wouldn't stand against it. But I'm not here to build that kingdom. I'm here to build a different kingdom. And the humility that Jesus was standing in front of this man. Who is this man to say? Who are you? Are you a king? You think you're a king? Do you claim to be a king? Who's following you? Jesus is saying, you, you say I'm a king. I just say I'm here to build a kingdom. Who told you I was a king? Did the people who listened to me think I was a king? Or are you coming to the conclusion that I'm a king? Pilate, not getting the answer he's looking for, hears Jesus say kingdom and says, oh, so you said you're establishing a kingdom. So does that mean you're a king? Jesus is standing again humbly, having been slapped in the face already, having been beaten each time he stands before a judge, looks at him and says, you're, you're saying I'm a king. I'm just saying I'm here to build a kingdom that's not of this world. And anyone who listens to my voice wants to build that kingdom because they hear the truth and they want the truth. They long for the truth. Do you long for the truth this morning? Because the truth is that Jesus came full of grace and truth so that we would build a kingdom that is going to be eternal where all people will live in unity together facing the, the, the voice and the face and the beauty of God and singing to Him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will sing to infinity and beyond 
the beauty of the face of God because there is no weeping, there is no mourning, there is no loss, there is no death, there is no cancer, there is no hurt, there is no brokenness. That's the kingdom that Jesus is saying. I'm coming to build that. But the, the truth is that while he promises to come and build that, most of us as followers build this. How do I know this? Because when I ask myself the question, what do my finances build? If it's 90% earth and 10% heaven, I'm building this kingdom. If I look at my job and say, what am I building at my job? And it is 90% earth and 10% kingdom, I'm building this kingdom on earth. If I say I'm looking at my sport, my education, my marriage, and I'm building it 90% here and 10% church and 10% community with God, I'm building this kingdom on earth. That's just truth. The numbers don't lie to us that when the majority of our time is spent mowing our lawns and keeping our houses clean and keeping our cars running and keeping our kids in school and keeping our teams winning and watching our fantasy football stuff and spending time in community about nothing, we're building this kingdom. It's just truth. Can all of those things build the kingdom of God? Absolutely. This isn't a message about going home and burning your house down and living in a box. It's not a message about stopping from mowing your yard. My neighbor does that. He's, he really does. He says that if it gets over two feet, it will start to seed itself. Love him. <laughs> not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is sometimes we spend more time making sure there's not a weed in our landscaping than making sure there's not a weed in our life. Because we don't know who we are. We spend a lot of time dying for community, even though we spend time with people seven days a week. Because we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're building. We spend a lot of time balancing our checkbooks figuring out how much of that one credit card we can just pay off this month in order to get by because we don't know who we are, because we don't know what we're building. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was building. He knew the resources that he had been given both on this earth and that what he was going to be given in heaven. And he said for us, use what you have on this earth, but store it up in heaven. Store up the reward and the treasure there. Use this stuff up for my kingdom. The resources you've been given here are given to you as platforms for the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform the lives of the world around us so that the kingdom that we are going to be a part of is more full. And when he's standing before Pilate and he's saying, I don't even build this kingdom. Don't worry about Rome. I'm not here to crush Rome. I'm building a kingdom that Rome can't even touch. So what's that kingdom even look like? 
Why would we want to give up everything that we've built for ourselves here in order to have authentic biblical community and being a people, a church that love one another, that share everything that we have with one another, whose resources are sitting in open hands saying, okay, God, I have it. You've given it to me. I'm making it turn it into double, triple, quadruple so that you can have it back whenever you want it. You can take it. Why would you even build into this? It's because of who Jesus is in the beginning. Who he has been from the very beginning illustrates the kingdom that he is building. John chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to step back. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In verse 16, if you have a Bible and a pen, underline this. And if it's not ESV or New American Standard, if you have NIV, write in the margin the right Greek text here because the NIV does disservice to Scripture in this one. And from his fullness we have all received this is the kingdom of God. Grace upon grace. You have NIV, it may say grace so that our blessings upon blessing or blessing may abound or for blessings and blessings. It's not for blessings and blessings. It's grace upon grace that is the first foundation of the kingdom of God. I love that. I'm a truth guy by nature. I don't know if you've noticed that. I like truth. I like logic. I like to debate. I like to be, I like to find out truth. I will disagree with myself so that I can come to truth, even if I don't like it, and then I will align with it. But in being lined for truth so much, I find that a lot of things I do don't match up with truth because truth would lead me to say, I'm never going to be enough. I can never live up to that standard. I can never be a good enough husband. I can never be a good enough dad. I'll never get my finances to line up where they need to. I'll never, get the, I'll never be the best athlete. I'll never know enough. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. And then Jesus speaks these words that are the foundation of his word, which is who he is. In his fullness, fullness, in his kingdom that he is building, we have grace upon grace. Grace. I love that he gives it to us twice. He doesn't just give you grace. He gives you grace upon grace. He gives you grace so that you want him to fix you, and then when you don't let him, he gives you more grace. He gives you grace upon grace so that when you live a transformed life for a season of your life, when you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to chase you. You're the one true God for me. He gives you enough grace to even call him Lord. And then after you chase him for years and then you fall down, he gives you enough grace to get back up. He does not judge when we fall. He overwhelms us with grace. He loves us when we fall. He withholds judgment until his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom as one kingdom. A new heaven and a new earth. He holds it back and says, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to make you pay the penalty until you have had 
every opportunity to live in grace upon grace. And he looks at Pilate in John 18 with eyes of grace upon grace. You say I'm king. I'm here to build a different kingdom. He was looking at Pilate in the, in the eyes, and we have that Pilate and his wife were disturbed by the truth and the grace of this man because Pilate did not want to crucify him because this is a Jesus that looked him in the eye and said, I'm not even building this kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is a kingdom of grace upon grace. Are you building that kingdom today? Did you build it yesterday? Do you parent toward the kingdom of grace upon grace? Do you manage your business to the kingdom of grace upon grace? Do you love your wife to the kingdom of grace upon grace? Do you love your husband? to the kingdom of grace upon grace? Do you love the non-believers in your life, the people who have abandoned God? Do you chase the atheist with grace upon grace? Do you pursue the Muslim with grace upon grace? Do you pursue the Mormon with grace upon grace? Do you pursue the Republican, the Democrat, and whatever else is in the middle? with grace upon grace. Because that's the kingdom of the bride of Christ that Jesus is establishing. He has no need to judge here because he knows that judgment will come as the gates of his kingdom are open for all of eternity and he longs for every person, every tribe, every people, whether they condemned God in their history or whether they have always said to worship a Yahweh God. He wants both Israel and Palestine and Arab and Egyptian, and he wants European, and he wants Canadian, and he wants Mexican, and he wants American, and he wants the globe to claim him as Lord of Lord and King of Kings of this kingdom. Do you align with the kingdom that is grace upon grace that is not of this world? Because that's the Jesus that stood before Pilate and said, I'm building a kingdom not of this world. Go ahead and crucify me. Because I'm about to go crush death. I'm ready to crush Satan. I'm ready to crush everything of this world that would keep my kingdom from being both now and not yet. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of God that's not of this world. It's not of this world, but the moment that Jesus stepped into this earth and he was spoken as man into existence, that he came for 33 years living in perfection, overcoming all temptation, carrying the burden of sin on his shoulders, being crucified on a cross, being resurrected. On the moment of that resurrected, the kingdom of God both came fully into this world 
and fully into heaven, longing for it to be unified in heaven and earth, in a new heaven and earth for eternity. But he is here now with us, establishing that kingdom now. We don't have to wait, but it's not fully here. His kingdom is here in grace and in truth. Grace upon grace begins the foundation. But Jesus says, those who love the truth, listen to my voice. And Jesus also says in John 1, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The kingdom that God came to build on this earth is a kingdom of grace upon grace and truth. Truth cannot be forgotten. We don't continue in grace so that sin will abound. That's Paul's words. Jesus said, I came. I came to bear truth to you. I view the path to heaven as I viewed a road that I drove on in high school. It was snowing. It was a beautiful snow. We had gone skiing that night. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. We did one of those stupid youth ministry, ski late at night, and it's cheaper. You get home at like 2 o'clock in the morning because you skied from like 11 till 1.30 or something. It was dumb. Because then you put keys in the hands of high schoolers and say, here, drive home in that. And so it's snowing outside. I had turned 16 a month before. You turn 16 in Kentucky at that point, you get your license when you turn 16, and then, like, you're just driving. Just get it and go. Permit for a month, and then you're off to the races. So I had just gotten the freedom to drive without a parent in the car. My friend Brian was with me on this ski trip. My sister, who's uh, two years behind me in school, she was in the back seat, and she fell asleep. Brian's sitting next to me, and we had to drive him home first. And it's snowing, and I look at him like, why don't you just crash at my place tonight? He's like, no, I got to get home. I got to be up at work in like four hours. I need my car to go to work. So um, just take, will you just take me all the way home? I'm like, all right. So I look at my dad and he's at the church. He's like, it's all right. It's not, the snow's not sticking. Um, your mom just called and said, there's nothing at our house. So you'll be okay. So I drive past our house and everything's safe. And we're just driving, talking about how fun it was to, to ski together and have fun that night. And some, you know, just dumb stuff that high schoolers do. And we're turning the music up loud, trying to wake my sister up in the back. And it was fun. And all of a sudden, we drive around this big curve to get to his house. And he lived by the Ohio River, and I was farther off. And so I guess there had been more accumulation by the river. So I come around this big curve, and as I'm coming around, I'm coming around at normal speed. I, I wasn't being a dumb high schooler and driving too fast. It was late at night, and I liked my car. I wanted to keep it really nice. So I'm driving around this curve, and all of a sudden, there's about an inch of snow and ice on the curve. And as I hit the curve, the backside of my car fishtails to the left, and I start to drive into it, uh, you know, cut into it to try to, you know, straighten it out, and it goes back the other way. And so I'm cutting the wheel the other way, and we're just sliding around. And as we're sliding around, we start to just straighten out and stop. And as we slide, just kind of letting, you know, the force kind of take us where it's going to take us, we start to slide, 
and I've straightened it, and I'm looking for it, and I'm like, whew, okay, and then boom, we hit this guardrail. Slam right into it. Nothing I could have done, I don't think. Completely trashes the whole front side of my car, goes all the way across. Front's all messed up, and then we see headlights. Tractor trailer coming. So move it off to the side of the road. We get back on the other side of the road, drive it to Brian's house. He has to roll down the window to climb out of the car. It's like bumper falling off. Whole front end is a mess. Call my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I just wrecked the car. I'm so sorry, and I'm you know, an emotional mess. And he's like, what, you wrecked? What happened? Is everyone okay? First response, my dad, Grace, he's just like, is everybody all right? What, what happened? And I said, I was going around the curve. I don't think I was going too fast. I, I don't think I did. And he's like, you're going around this curve? He's like, and then he's like, you were going around Dead Man's Bend or something, you know, one of those names that people for generations have called something. And I'm like, I guess, are you dating yourself? I have no idea what that's called. Yeah, the big curve right before Brian's house, that's what I was, he was like, yeah. He was like, and you hit what? And I was like, I hit a guardrail. I was like, there's no guardrail there. That has never had a guardrail. There's been like five people that have flown off that thing. I'm like, well, I hit a guardrail. And my dad comes over and he pulls in and Brian's dad is downstairs and he's looking at the car and Brian's dad walks up to Brian and he's like, yeah, our boys are lucky that they put that guardrail in last week, aren't they? Without that guardrail, we go over a hundred foot embankment. Hello, Cliff. Who knows how that story ends? We have a kingdom of grace and truth. Grace, when you slide out of control, which you will, I have truth. Guardrails around you that you will slam into sometimes and it will hurt, but you will not die. That's the kingdom of God. Sometimes we bounce off of it and we bounce off of it hard. Sometimes the people that you're going to experience life with will bounce off of truth and they will bounce off of it hard. But what is your road paid with? Is it paved with grace upon grace to where when they bounce, they come back to center? To where there is love waiting on them? Or are you grace alone to where the, the, the ride with you is soft? It's an enjoyable ride in this world if you're a Christian. But if you go astray... If you fall off, there's no truth. There's no guardrail. And they die. Jesus came to build a kingdom. A kingdom of grace and truth. Where it's the easiest thing in the world to get into heaven. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to carry the burden of all of your sin. Allow him to die for everything that you have made a mistake for. And then live for him because you know the guardrail of truth will allow you to pursue his kingdom without falling off. There is no death after there is grace. There is no falling off. There are guardrails of truth that will keep you chasing after God. So you can surrender your wives, your husbands, your children, your college education, your workplace, your finances, your fun, your hobbies, fantasy football. You can surrender it all to God and say, if you want to give it back, you can give it back. Music, movies, ministry, Everything can be in his hands. And he can say, I need this for my kingdom. I need this for my kingdom. I need this for my kingdom. 
all the rest of that stuff. We're just going to put that to the side right now. And you can be fully satisfied in that. Do you want to live for that kingdom? Do I want to live for that kingdom? It's the question Jesus is asking us tonight or this morning. Because he is establishing a kingdom that is not of this world. It will endure to infinity and beyond. It is paved with grace and protected by truth. And this morning, each one of us is invited to carry the torch for that kingdom into eternity. 1 John 5 promises that if you love God, you are now a child of God. You are an heir to the throne of the kingdom that is to come. Will you this week take a kingdom look at your family, at your community, at your job, at the kingdom that you've built? Will you take a look at it and ask whether or not it builds God's kingdom or yours? And in your conclusion, will you accept the words of Jesus to say, whatever conclusion you came to, I give you grace upon grace. What will you give me now? Let's pray together.